thought that Kurt was going to preach my message. <laughs> the tw- <laughs> Bibles, get your Bibles out. We're going to Nehemiah today. This is two weeks in a row in the Old Testament. Are you confused yet? Nehemiah's good stuff. So, as we mentioned several times, we're uh, we're celebrating joy this week, and our candle wick is barely hanging on on this little joy candle over here. It's it's lit. You just can't see it unless you're right here. Um, sometimes joy is hard to hold on to, huh? I think for me. Uh, peace and hope are easier concepts to, to grasp. And joy is, is a little bit harder. Joy is a little bit harder. I tend to be a very uh, even keel kind of guy. Not super excitable. Um, but joy kind of demands something of you that, you know, a response. And I'm not entirely comfortable with giving an involuntary response all the time. So we're going to look at joy a little bit in the context of strength. We sang it this morning, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What does that mean? What are we talking about? Where does that come from? So Nehemiah chapter eight. We're going to start in verse nine, go through verse 12. I will refrain from all the rest of the good stuff in here. We're just doing nine through 12. Lord, we come to your word humbly to be taught. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us today in Jesus' name. Verse 9, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Nehemiah, as you may know, was an official in the court of the king of Babylon. And the 70 years were up. The 70 years that were prophesied by Jeremiah that that Israel would be in captivity. 70 years were up. Jeremiah's gone. A lot lot of things have happened. It's been two to three, maybe more generations removed since they had been taken out from Israel, taken captive and and exiled. And now Judah, pardon me, and now many of the, the people from Judah, the Jewish people were back because the 70 years were up and the king said, okay, when Nehemiah went and talked to him. You guys remember the story of Nehemiah before the king where he had... 
he, he opened up the book of the law and realized that the time had come and, and went to prayer and then talked to the king. And the king said yes and gave him all kinds of blessings. So much so that he went back with lots of money and, and resources to rebuild. And he became the governor of that province, Judea. But the people had been gone for a long time. They had become unacquainted with the law or the Torah. They had just survived and not, not known what God had said to them. They had lost in those three or so generations that relationship of God's special people with God. And now Nehemiah and Ezra, two godly men, were beginning to lead that ragtag group of people some who had stayed there or been left there when the rest were exiled and some that had been recultured in a new, in a different land. Here, here we are back together trying to figure out what to do. And Ezra brings out the book of the law and reads it to these thousands and thousands of people. There's Levites that, that start getting back into ministry, so to speak. And they're helping people understand what's going on. And they begin to understand the law for the first time in generations. And what's their first response? In the words of Daryl, oh crap. (laughs) We have been making mistakes for a long time. We have been walking away from the Lord for a long time. Maybe we didn't know, maybe we did, but we've been messing up. And so their response was to mourn and to weep in repentance. That doesn't sound like joy. And it isn't, but maybe it comes right before joy. Now might be a good time to talk about the difference between happiness and joy. Even even some parts of our culture now are, are starting to grasp this. But sometimes in uh, today's society and the ever-changing use of language, particularly the English language, things get conflated, joy and happiness. But they are really different concepts. Happiness comes from the outside and is dependent on external circumstances, events, happenings, things. But joy emanates from within and persists without good circumstances, without good events, and without anything special on the outside, and and many times in spite of difficult circumstances. Happiness is an emotional response to positive things. Catching all the green lights on the way home from work. That'll make you happy. Seeing beautiful artwork or something in nature, a crazy sunset or Sunrise for some of you crazy people. Um, The success of a project at work or eating chocolate. Those things can bring happiness. I I heard you. I heard you. (laughs) Because it is an emotionally based thing, happiness is by definition fleeting, temporary. Joy is a more sustained sense of satisfaction or contentment that can endure less than ideal circumstances. Joy isn't affected by the red lights on the way home from work or the lack of chocolate. 
it's quite possible to be joyful and not happy. It's also possible and more likely to be happy and not joyful. Even the secular world acknowledges that joy is far superior to happiness. And they will tell you how to get real joy. They say that true joy comes when you are at peace with who you are, why you are, and how you are. I thought that was some great mumbo jumbo right there. I was like, what in the world are you even saying? If you're coming from a secularist mindset, then that's all you've got. That's really all you've got. So you best run with it because it might be more stable than happiness. But it's not real joy. As believers and disciples, we know that the only way to truly be at peace is to be in the presence of the one who is peace. We talked about this last week. Peace is not a feeling or a concept. Peace is a person. And you don't get peace apart from peace. Right? You don't get peace if you're not in the presence of peace. Not real peace. So if joy comes from being at peace, then then it only comes from the presence of the Lord. That place of contentment and satisfaction is only found in him. Now, if I want joy, that's where I've got to go. So what's going on here when Jeremiah, or sorry, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Their first response to the word was weeping and mourning. They recognized that they had been messing up. Have you ever recognized that you've been doing it wrong? Has the Lord ever corrected your thinking on something and you just, oops, <laughs> I've been missing it there. Or the Holy Spirit speaks to you and corrects something in your understanding, maybe uh, something in your behavior, and you have to respond to that. Your first response is not like, yeah, woo, joy. No, the first response is, <laughs> Oh, you're right. There is a a pain or a grief that comes with that. And there was for the Israelites too. And rightly so. There should be. Scripture says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. There can be other kinds of sorrow too. But godly sorrow that comes from conviction of the Holy Spirit, that leads to repentance. And in this case, for the Israelites, there was a genuine repentance. They really wanted to seek God. They really wanted to be close to him. They really wanted to be his special people again. And, and so this grief, the sorrow, was a conviction of the Lord that was bringing them back. And they were turning their hearts back to God. This is often our first response. Good news isn't perceived as good news unless the bad news is first understood. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody who felt no need for the gospel? Yeah. It's, it's you know, okay, that's nice. That's, you know, that's fine, but I'm not feeling like I need that. I don't, I, I don't understand the sin in my own life. And so, so I, I'm not sure what Jesus was trying to do here. Like I'm, But if I understand my sin, if I understand my separation from God and my true predicament, then what Jesus did is absolutely the best news in the world. 
So that mourning, that weeping, that grief is an important part of the process to understand where you are before God intervenes. But it's not a permanent place. It's not the place you stay when you understand the word of God. Because the next thing he says is the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't mourn, don't weep. Today is special. This is a holy day. This is a celebration. The joy of the Lord is your strength. They could rejoice because they understood the words which had been been made known to them. At the end of verse 12, all the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions to those who had not prepared any, to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. The law was read. The Levites explained it. They realized it. They they were convicted. They repented. And now there was a rejoicing. Why was there a rejoicing? Because they understood the intentions of their God. They understood that God wanted to be in relationship with them. And this was the means that they could do that by. So there was an understanding. And in that understanding, there was joy. There was rejoicing that our God is with us. The strength that that joy brings is confidence. Confidence in the relationship. Confidence in the communion that you have. It's assurance that he's with you. It's unshakable faith because God is God and he has chosen to be with me. I can have joy in the face of whatever may come at me because I know I'm where he wants me. These people in Israel, they now things did not get easy at this point for them. This was not, oh, okay, we flipped a switch where we read the law, we followed the law, and now life is good. They had some major challenges and a lot of work to go through right after this even. This is where, where they're building the wall. This is where they're building the temple. This is where they're f- fending off enemies and, and seeking uh, political help from the king of Babylon. He said, we could do this, and these guys are going to fight. So, I mean, they, they had a mess on their hands in a very unstable region but they had joy. They could rejoice. And that was their strength, was the nearness of God and the relationship that he offered them. Isaiah associates joy with the fullness of God's salvation, the fullness of everything that God is and how he works and his closeness. That was joy. It's also linked to the anticipation of the day of the Lord when he comes back. This kind, of, this kind of blends over a little bit with hope, right? We know that God fulfills his promises and we know that he's coming again. He said that he's coming again. He's, and scripture says that he'll, he will rule the world with peace and justice and, and there will be no more crying and there will be no more uh, tears or weeping, no more pain, right? We know those things are coming, but right now we can trust in who he is and revel in the relationship that he gives us. But hope fuels that joy. Real hope. So Nehemiah says to them, don't be grieved. It's time to move on from that for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The strength that you and I can have today is the presence of the Lord. 
and rejoicing in that relationship. We can understand the words that he's given us. And it's important to move from mourning and weeping to rejoicing. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Similar to how Jeremiah is giving direction, Paul is using an imperative statement. He's not making a suggestion. He's not offering uh, advice. This is a command, a directive, meaning you rejoice. Do it now. Rejoice. Essentially, have joy. Be full of joy because of how God has interacted with you. Because your God is close to you. Rejoice. This is like the third time in this book that he says this. It's a theme. Joy was one of those characteristics in the early church as they responded to the presence and the nearness of God and began to understand his plan of redemption. Joy was a major part of that. And joy was something that the world outside saw in them because the world outside was going through the crazy situations that they were going through. Maybe not persecution for the same reasons, but, but, you know, the taxes and the Roman oppression and anything going on in society at large, they saw too, but they saw the joy in the church. They saw the hope and the peace that, that pervaded that community. And, and that joy came from an understanding that God was here. He was here with us now. The Holy Spirit is active and we have relationship with, a, with him. And we're understanding how he did this. We're understanding what he wants. We're understanding his words. There's a confidence and a joy and an assurance. And that joy meant that that gospel could not be contained. It meant that it had to be shared. My youngest girl, she's five and a half right now, um, several times a week, she is asking for a special date. We don't always get to do this several times a week, but, but that's, that is something that, that fills her mind on a regular basis with, with Kelly and, and myself. Can I have a date? Can I have a date? I want a special date. And then if we don't, and if it's a day where we're not going to have time to, to get out and go about, then, then it's, well, we could have a pretend date. And a pretend date is where we, you know, we, we stay at home, we drink tea, play a game, do something uh, special together at home. Um, but she is very excited about those dates. And because she's excited about it, and because she understands the relationship that she has with me and her mom, we, uh, it, she will tell people about it. I don't know if you've spent any time around my five-and-a-half-year-old, but she's likely to tell you one of two things. She's likely to talk to you about her dress. Doesn't matter what dress. Um, but the more sparkles, the better. (laughs) And she's likely to talk about a special date because this is what's filling up her mind and her heart. It was that way with the gospel, with the, with the new church. This was what was filling up their mind and their heart. The, just the, 
what made their, their hearts come alive was this realization that God has come and God has dealt with our separation issue and he has redeemed us and, and reconciled us to himself. And he did this amazing thing and, and he dealt with my sin. And, and, and first he made me aware of my sin, but then he dealt with it. He fixed that problem. He brought me back to him. And now I have this relationship. And the more they understood, the more we understand, the more joy can fill our hearts as it did theirs. Joy is contagious. Happiness is like a firework. You know, it's fun. Goes up, blows up. Done. Chocolate will wear off. But joy is the response to the revelation and the presence of God. And that doesn't just stop. Ted, I'll have you come up and play. When God acts, when he speaks, when he protects, when he delivers, when he heals, provides comfort, the response is an awareness of his presence, and from that comes joy. Even if the initial response to his presence is to see my own sin and my own condition, the fact that God Almighty is interacting with me is a cause for joy, for sustaining joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So God has never stopped interacting with his creation. It was from the beginning. He walked in the garden, conversing with Adam and Eve. That's what we were created for. And I didn't even tell you the name of the message at the beginning, but the title is, You Were Made for Joy. You were made for this understanding of the, the closeness of God. You were made to, to know and comprehend and to understand the relationship that you have with him that he longs to have with you. You and I were designed for, created for this relationship. And so it follows that we were made for the joy that comes with it. You were made for joy. So then, if we want joy in our lives and not just happiness. If we want the sustaining joy and not empty temporary happiness based on feelings, then we need to pursue that knowing and that understanding of God. We need to pursue the relationship that that joy flows from, just like the Israelites did. Have you ever had that feeling that, uh, that you just heard from the Holy Spirit? Like he just spoke to you, you know, generally not an audible thing, but sometimes, you know, he has made his, his will or his mind, his heart clear to you on something. Have you ever felt you've been doing something that, that God told you to do and you have that feeling like, man, this is what God made me to do. There's that contentment and that satisfaction or I know he told me to do this and, and though it's hard, I know that I'm obeying and it's bringing him pleasure. 
And so there's a strength to keep going, to keep doing it. This is how the joy of the Lord fills our hearts. This is how he sustains us. It would be really, really difficult, really difficult to live this life, to follow God, to keep sacrificing ourselves for him if there was no joy. So Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. For us today, we have a couple things that we can do, just practical things to pursue this relationship and pursue this understanding. You might get tired of hearing me say these things, and that's okay. We got to dig into his word. We got to let his word correct us and discipline us, allow him to convict our hearts where we need it of sin, of of wrongdoing, of wrong thinking. We got to dig into his word. Why? Because as we understand what he's saying, we can rejoice. We need to spend time with him in prayer and learn to hear his voice, to know him as a person, not as a distant deity. Our God is a personal God. That's why we're personal, because he made us in his image. Allow him to draw us close as he forgives and restores us. We got to dig into the word and we got to push into to time with him. When we are in that relationship, we are filled with joy. And when we're not in that relationship, there's no joy to be found. It doesn't matter how much you try and reconcile who you are, how you are, why you are. Even if the obedience of following or doing is not easy or fun, there is the joy that comes from direct communion with him. Joy comes from knowing God, from understanding him. And he made you to know and understand him. Therefore, he made you for joy, to enjoy him. Though I think it's the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, says the chief end of man, the chief purpose of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. Lord, we come before you having heard your word and and understanding a little bit more of your intentions for us. Your joy is to be our strength. Well, then we need some more of your joy. Can you... Can you agree with me there? Lord, I need some more joy. So God, would you reveal more of yourself? Help us to understand more. Help us to push into that relationship that you have given us where joy is found. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us assurance. You created us for joy. You made us to know you and to enjoy you forever. Lord, guide us in that process. Just like the Israelites so many years ago, we we receive your conviction where we need it, but then we rejoice in your nearness because our God has chosen to be with us. Our God has chosen to be in relationship with us, and we will joy in that. We will rejoice in that. We will revel in that. 
Lord, restore our hearts in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.